the Edible Gardens podcast, where we talk about how your edible garden can also be your beautiful landscape. I'm your host, Nanette Blair. Thanks for joining me. Okay, I'm going to let you guys on a little secret. My dream is to make good food accessible to everyone. And in my opinion, the best definition of good food is nutritious, delicious, and safe. And it doesn't get any better than picking fresh fruit, herbs, veggies, straight off the plant, where you know what went into it from start to finish. Also, you won't find any tomato cages here. As a matter of fact, there's a lot you won't find here, including pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or any of the other sides. But what you will find here are landscapes that are designed for beauty, reflection, fun, and entertaining, and the list goes on to whatever you want. After all, it's your home, your yard, and your taste, and beauty truly is in the eye of the beholder. Okay, you know that garden you've been thinking about, either the one you already have that just needs a little more oomph, or the one that's been in your head for who knows how long. Well, I know you're ready. I know I'm ready. So let's dig in. Okay, nitrogen fixation. (laughs) This is one that was really an eye-opener for me when I took the permaculture class. And I heard about this before I took the permaculture class. But everybody was talking about all these plants that you could plant that would fix nitrogen. It would pull nitrogen out of the atmosphere, pull and nitrogen moves freely down through the plant. I did learn that in the master gardeners class and that it puts it down into the soil. So this is not some newfangled theory. This is not all frou-frou-y. This is proven science. They've been doing this for years. All of the universities have been preaching it and talking about it and it's been studied. A lot of commercial farmers use this system. And um, anything that is a legume, supposedly, anything that is a legume will pull nitrogen out of the air and put it into the ground. And I do believe there's some other crops or other plants or other trees that I've seen that will also do it. But they're kind of few and far between. And there's some things within the legume family that won't do it. What is a legume? Well, a legume is basically something that produces a bean or a pea or a pod. I wrote a blog post. I switched platforms from, I used to be with wordpress.com and then I switched to wordpress.org and I lost a lot of my blog posts. But if you hear of something that's in the Fabaceae, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, but I, you know, I, I learned what those Latin words are for reasons like this. So when I was in the Master Gardener's class, everybody was talking about the Latin name for this and the Latin name for that. And I was just kind of like, they're just showing off, <laughs> you know, it's like, but secretly I kind of wanted to be able to do that too. But, you know, I really did. I was like, how rude of them to be talking like in Latin or Italian or French or whatever when they, I know good and well, they can speak English and they're speaking to someone that doesn't speak that other language. Anyway, (laughs) it is important to learn, uh, especially the family name for this kind of a reason. So you'll see a lot of similarities with different plants, even if they're not the same species, if they come from the same family, that will give you a lot of hints 
as to what may be going on there. Anyway, nitrogen fixers are well known for being in the same family. That's Fabaceae. And I've, <laughs> I've actually looked this up uh, because so many people say these Latin words in a different way. But if you can read it, that's all you need to know. But I actually looked this up. There is YouTube channels that will show you how to pronounce these things. Some of them will say it in a very Italian way, like Fabacciai or Fabacciai. And, you know, I always thought that I could get away with never having to pronounce it. I'll just listen to what someone else says. I can read it. I know what it is. Anyway, okay. So, anyway, a little Latin lesson from someone who does not speak Latin. But it is important. Okay, so anything that's in the legume family, which is really, really cool. The day that I found out that a lupine is a legume and a blue bonnet is a lupine. So I was so excited when I found this out. A blue bonnet is its Latin name or its binomial nomenclature. You'll also hear it that way as well is lupinus texensis, texensis. Lupinus is, gives you a hint right there that it's a lupine, but it's in the family of Fabaceae. Fabaceae? <laughs> I don't know. What I care about is that a blue bonnet has the capability, and that's key, the capability to fix nitrogen in my garden. Another thing about blue bonnets, it's a great weed suppressor. So for us, I live in Texas, blue bonnets grow in the springtime. It's an iconic flower. It's the state flower. It means spring has sprung. It means put your best Sunday clothes on and go take some photographs. Well, usually these are all seen on the side of the road. And for years and years and years, I just thought that blue bonnets were perennial. I didn't know they were annual, but they're really good self-seeders. So I just threw out a bunch of seed in my garden, and now I have blue bonnets coming up in my garden and hopefully fixing nitrogen in my garden. Here's the thing. When I say the capability of, and I'm going to go over some of the other things that I have in my list that are nitrogen fixers because I have been accumulating a list of all the different plants that I could grow in my garden that are beautiful, edible, and also serve a guild type purpose. In this case, a nitrogen fixer. The, the thing about the nitrogen fixing plants is that it has the capability. So there's something about a legume that works in conjunction with a symbiotic bacteria called rhizobia. That's R-H-I-Z-O-B-I-A uh, within the nodules in their root systems. When a, an annual plant dies, it releases, and this is an annual plant that's a nitrogen fixer, it releases that nitrogen into the soil. So it's making it available for the other plants and it helps to fertilize the soil. So in other words, if they pull nitrogen out of the atmosphere and then they put fertilizer down into the soil for you, pretty cool. But you have to have the right bacteria for that species of plant in order to do this. So this is one of the things that I did not learn in my permaculture class is that you have to have the right inoculant in order to do that. 
And it might surprise you where I'm going with this, but a lot of people will go buy this inoculant. And I don't know if you know this about me yet, but I'm not one... I'm not a big fan of spending money in the garden. Usually when you interfere with the whole system that Mother Nature's got going on down there, remember there's a party going on down there and we're not invited. The more we do, especially when we buy something, the money is not the issue. It's a matter of interfering with what's going on down there. It's none of our business. (laughs) Okay, so... We're always reducing everything down to its lowest factor as scientists or as gardeners or wannabe scientists or, you know, professors. They'll say, well, this works, so let's package it and let's put a pretty bow on it and let's sell it to people, right? But so I went looking for proof that I needed to do this or that I didn't need to do this. So I found lots of articles from uh, the University of Colorado, or excuse me, Colorado State, from Texas A&M, from Mississippi State, from the NRCS. Basically, everybody's talking about what inoculant you could buy and use, but you know what is just hysterical to me? They'll say, okay, so one of them, the NRCS is saying, this is something that I'll put in the show notes. But they said, uh, this public, I'm reading from the article, this publication states not to use caustic chemicals like lime and pesticides as it may become toxic to the bacteria. And so I just think that that's really interesting that the NRCS is saying don't put down things that are going to kill the bacteria. So we've talked about that, right? I say that at the beginning of every show is... Um, I don't use pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, or any of the other sides. Well, it does interfere with that bacteria. So first of all, you have the NRCS saying, and I don't know the dates when, when all of this was said, but then you go down to another article that I found. It was from, this one was from Colorado State, and it says, the reviews from gardeners who purchased the inoculants are mixed, in other words, for some it worked and for, for others it did not. Texas A&M University is saying to use things like Coke, which to me is, would be caustic in the garden, but not to use Diet Coke. <laughs> they talk about things like using buttermilk, uh, things like that. So they're very much interfering with the soil. And again, I, don't, I didn't write down the dates when all this was written. But then I found a really interesting article, and the reason that I'm saying this is because a lot of people are saying, oh, just plant this plant, it'll pull nitrogen from the atmosphere, and it'll put the nitrogen down into your soil, and now you don't have to fertilize. Well, that depends. Do you have the right bacteria that's going to interact with that rhizobia with the plant? And you do have to buy a specific strain of bacteria. I found another article that has to do with a man that took a class from Dr. Elaine Ingham, and he is a microbiologist, he's a soil scientist, and he's doing a lot of trials. And basically what he says, and I will put this article in the show notes as well, he said that he found that the compost that he was making that was had a high fungal content in it, which is the way that I do it, that it produces the right bacteria in the soil 
and it works. So he's not adding a store-bought inoculant. He's not buying something from the store and putting it on the seeds. And they go into all these details about, you know, you can wet it down and you can soak it before you plant it or you plant the seed and you just sprinkle the inoculant in before. But if you have the right, uh, a good diversity in your microbiology in your soil, then you don't need that. That's what I'm hearing. That's the way I interpret it. The other thing that I read in some of these scholarly type articles from agricultural professors was that when you put that inoculant down into the soil with your nitrogen fixers, it only stays there for so long. So you have to keep putting it in there. Well, you know, that's because they're rotating their crops. They're planting, for instance, maybe wheat. And then they do a cover crop of maybe fava beans. And then they go back and do another kind. And they're doing all monoculture and not polyculture. So it's all one thing. And then it's all one thing. And then it's all one thing. So that microbiology is going dormant until you plant the beans back in there again. And then it wakes back up that if you just keep that good diversity in your soil and you keep that good diversity on the plant in the plants with different species within the same legume family, then you're probably going to have some biology or some of that bacteria that is going to basically inoculate the, the root nodules and it will create this pocket of nitrogen that will be released when the plant is, when the plant dies. So now going back to how do you release that? Well, if you pull it up out of the ground, you've pulled it up out of the ground. So <clears throat> one way to see if it is inoculating or not, it'll have little knots on it, little nodules that kind of look like a very small pea, or it might be a really big pea, but to know like a pea size, like the kind of pea that you eat. But when you, um, when you pull it up and you can see if it's active, it should be pink or it should be red. You can just break it open. It almost looks kind of like blood, um, but that's how you know if it's working. Now there are trees that are also nitrogen fixers. I was really excited to find out that the redbud trees that I have that are existing on the property that make the most beautiful show and which are also edible. Um, the redbud trees, they just, in the spring, they're just beautiful. And so when I say edible, I mean, I mean the flowers. I'm not sure about the leaves. Then you have mesquite, you have honey locusts, you have black locusts, you have so many different kinds of trees. Well, they don't die, but they will shed a branch. And you know, whenever they shed a branch, they also shed their roots. Or when you dig into the roots to do a project or something, you'll find that a branch will fall on the other side of the tree the branches and the roots are kind of correlated with each other. And, you know, how did they release it? Because they don't die, right? But parts of them die in the way of twigs or branches or, you know, it could be a snowstorm. It could just be that it got old. It could be a wind. The whole point is there are a lot of different things that you can plant in your garden. If you mix everything up, and I'm just going to kind of go through this list and tell you what some of the ones that I have found that are nitrogen fixers for the garden. But I just wanted you to know what 
I have found because I thought it was really interesting, you know, when I took the permaculture class, they were talking about all these nitrogen fixing plants. And after I took the class, the class was all done. I'm practicing permaculture. Everybody started talking about inoculants. And so I'm just always suspicious of something that you have to buy because it should occur naturally in nature. That's my thinking. If you're making good compost and you're making it right, you should have that diversity there. I just wanted to cover that, and I think that took up a good half of the show. Like I said, we'll probably find an expert on this or someone who has a very valid opinion based on trials and get them on the show to talk about this because I don't think this is the end of this subject. I know it's not, but this is just an introduction. So I'm going to get into the plants. Okay. Okay, so we have covered blue bonnets, which is so exciting that blue bonnets fix nitrogen or they had the capability of. Peanuts. Peanuts are fun. We grew peanuts here last year. It's my first time to grow peanuts. I've always wanted to do it. I don't know what held me back, but that was a lot of fun to watch my grandkids. I would save it for when they were going to be here and then we would pull peanuts. And so that's so cool. Uh, sugar snap peas. I have come to love those. They're beautiful in the garden. Some of these things are vining. So you have edamame, uh, which is soy. And I highly recommend you try to find an heirloom quality seed because these are, that's one of the things that are, it's prevalent GMO crop. So if you can find it, that's an heirloom organic seed. That's one that I would really recommend that you get an organic heirloom seed that is not genetically modified. Um, but yeah, how great to grow your own edamame. I like eating it the uh, way that they do in a Japanese style restaurant where you just boil it, put some salt on it and eat it that way. Uh, scarlet runner beans are beautiful and a lot of times they're grown in a landscape just because of their beauty. They're just so pretty and I'm seeing like with the sugar snap peas that I love to eat and I love to grow that a lot of the chefs are using the blossoms as a presentation on the dish and I'm really playing around with that. Clover is a great weed suppressor and it's a good and it's got a pretty little flower on it but it's also a really good nitrogen fixer got buckwheat alfalfa vetch we have vetch growing naturally here i think that the property that we're on used to be pasture land that's something that a lot of the farmers will do in between crops of hay is grow vetch and uh, legumes in between so and they would let the cows eat them as well uh pigeon pea and then fenugreek fenugreek is ha something i have not grown and i am going to be posting some stuff on that on my pinterest uh, boards because and this is what i do <clears throat> if someone posts something on say pinterest or it's on google or it's on i don't know youtube you know, just do the research yourself. Don't just take someone's word for it. Everything that I say, if I say that something is nitrogen fixing or if it's um, part of this guild or it's a good forest layer, look it up yourself if you want to. Uh, trust me if you want to, but I always try to, I'll pin something on Pinterest. I'll go back and I'll look at it later. That's what's great about Pinterest. 
I'll pin it for the purpose of seeing what it looks like. What, what is it going to look like in my landscape? And then I'll do some research. So sometimes I'll pin it and then I'll do the research later because it's kind of like a good way to save it, right? And then once I find out that it is what it says it is, then I'll go back and, and really do more talking about it later. But fenugreek is one of those things I'm just not familiar with. And if somebody has something to say about fenugreek, that's F-E-N-U-G-R-E-E-K. I would love to hear uh, more about it or someone's specific experience with it. Um, you can go do it on the uh, Facebook page, Edible Gardens. Uh, again, what I'm finding is it's really good to just mix up all of these different things. And I don't think that that's my complete list, but I'm running a little bit long here. Again, I'm trying to keep these shows to about 30 minutes to 45 minutes, enough for a good commute or a good workout or, you know, either in the garden or in the gym. But the purpose of this podcast was not to give an extensive list of what nitrogen fixers there are out there, but just to understand the concept of nitrogen fixing plants. And it depends. It has the capability of being a nitrogen fixing plant. But like I said, I have accumulated a whole list that's in Excel spreadsheet, and I really think that I should cover them individually or in a separate podcast just on what all of those are and how they perform in the garden besides just fixing nitrogen. You know, what do they look like? Can you eat them? What else can you use it for as kind of a a whole way for each specific plant? When something's going on with one of those plants right then and there, I'd go ahead and do a Facebook Live if something's going on at the time like, oh my gosh, my... My blue bonnets are blooming right now. This is this just came up. This just happened or whatever. So if you want to, you can go follow the Facebook group and please feel free to post something if you want to on like, you know, a question or a picture of something that you have going on in your gardens. Okay, I think that's going to do it for nitrogen fixation. All right. Bye-bye for now. And as we wrap up today's show, I want you to know this podcast is dedicated to you. If you're searching for a better source of food for yourself and the ones you love, I'm inviting you to come along on this journey with me. And if you don't want to miss any future episodes, you can hit that subscribe button and let's all figure out together how we can put delicious, nutritious, and safe food on the table. And remember, Your edible garden can also be your beautiful landscape. Until next time, have a great week, everybody. Bye for now. (laughs) 